Good morning, Church on the Hill, wherever you are watching from. Uh, I trust some of you are watching from vacation somewhere, yeah. and you thought yeah. it's Sunday, Bruce and Jason are going to be on, and I can't. I just don't want to miss them. Yeah, maybe others of you, this has been your regular habit now on Sundays or sometime through the week. You catch up with the, the Sunday sermon, and uh, either way, we're glad that you're here and have joined us for our kind of journey through Galatians that we've been on for a while now, we're, and we're coming to the end of that journey. Yeah. I wish we could see you, but you can see us. We can't see you. But on the first Sunday of August, we're going to be able to see each other. We're not going to be here. We're all going to be downtown at Salem Riverfront in the brand new Jerry Frank Amphitheater. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have a gathering of all the Church on the Hill people and anybody else who would like to come. It's at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, the first Sunday in August. Yeah, so, it's going to be a lot of fun, I guarantee. Yeah. If you've been there before, you know what to expect. If you haven't come, I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, there'll be, uh, we're going to do worship. We'll have the Word. Obviously, we'll be around community. We're going to share a meal afterwards. There'll be food, or you can bring food, bring your lawn chair, bring an umbrella. We've done this for many, many years. COVID shut it down for a couple years because we couldn't rent the space. But we're back this year with a brand new location there at the riverfront, and it's going to be awesome. If you've never been there, whether you watch online or you're here live with us, um, I don't think you want to miss it. I think it's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to jump into our, our message now and our sermon series, The Freedom Gospel. Uh, we're coming to, to the close of uh, the letter that Paul penned to the churches in Galatia and his, his treaties, his argument, his, his, uh, it's all been laid out in the previous chapters. And now he's, he's going to sign off himself and, and he wants to go uh, as personal as possible. And today's sermon title is The Freedom of the Cross. I know that might sound, I don't know, it might sound crazy because crosses don't sound like freedom. Being nailed to uh, two posts and hung to be on display doesn't sound freeing. But I think if you see the, the life of Paul, you will recognize what kind of freedom that actually brings. Yeah, it's always a little sad to get to the last chapter of a series. It's, I feel like I've made a new friend, even though I've read it uh, many times over the years. There's somehow about there's something about teaching it and going through it together that gives it a different slant. And um, of the people I'd like to meet someday in heaven would be the Apostle Paul would be one at the top of the list. Extraordinary character, extraordinary man. And um, the work he did has endured for thousands of years. Uh, the work he did has been instrumental in writing these epistles, has been instrumental in the life change and the transformation of countless numbers of individuals and, and communities. And so our, our, our theme throughout the book of Galatians has been that um, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that purchased our redemption trumps every other human effort. Legalism is just any other uh, human effort that seeks to take the place usurp the, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We sing a song uh, around here, the cross has the final word. Fads, traditions, governments, emperors, dictators, presidents uh, it, it have come and have gone for thousands of years. The cross still stands as a symbol and as a reality of a life that can be changed as people embrace that cross and are raised again in new life. Uh, it's my, my prayer today that uh, as we look at these verses that you, you are faced with the reality of the cross. Uh, I read this week, I believe it was Timothy Keller, 
was saying that, that no one can truly understand the cross and not either fall in love with it or hate and despise it. Um, and and I, I hope that you and I wouldn't just fetishize it, wouldn't make it into a novelty, wouldn't, not that there's anything wrong with wearing a cross, but it would be more than just a symbol we hang around our neck or something pretty to hang on the wall, but it would be a deep reality that redefines everything else about us. So why don't you just bow your heads with us because we're going about to jump into, uh, I think, Paul kind of describing what, what Bruce just said here, the final word of the cross. So Father, that's our prayer. Um, that you, would you confront us with the reality of the, the crucified and risen Savior and the reality of what the cross means, the implications of the cross and the, the full force of the gospel of my, my, my faith in that, and the grace that that imparts to me, that I, I pray that we would become people who embrace the cross because of the resurrection life that's on the other side of it. And I, we recognize that it means persecution and it means pain. We don't, we don't take, we don't try to steal the power of it away, but rather we recognize that you transform those things the way you transform us. So God, we submit to your word today and ask that you'd write it again on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. It says in the book of Corinthians that the natural man or woman, the natural person, the person who only thinks through the lens of logic and reason, can never and will never understand the things of God. But it also says that God will reveal the things of his kingdom, the things of the Spirit, by his Spirit. And that's, that's really our prayer here. We're just going to look at a few verses as the chapter closes out, chapter 6, and the book finishes. Paul finishes, he's beginning to kind of come to the end. He says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. It's an interesting statement because it would seem that maybe perhaps Paul was dictating some of this letter. And it's almost as if now he's taken the pen into his own hands because he knows He's going to bring this to a conclusion. These are his, his last words to these churches. I'm going to write this with my own hand. Paul's been strong through this letter. He hasn't been afraid to speak the truth. He hasn't been afraid to confront the Judaizers, these people who are trying to water down the power of the cross and get people back to keeping laws and traditions in order for them to be saved. He says, listen, in verse 12, these people who want to impress, these who want to impress people by means of the flesh. They're trying to compel you to be circumcised, going back to the Jewish tradition. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. But listen, not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. You hear what he's saying? These people want you in their club. They want you in their downline. They want you in their, in, in their group in order to just brag that they have you. But even they don't keep the very rules they're asking you to keep. He's, he's, he's calling them out as charlatans. And, and in the hopes of restoring the, the pure faith that the Galatians has started this, this journey on. And, and one of the ways he's saying that, one Bruce just said that, well, look, they're not even keeping the law themselves. They, they cherry pick what they like and don't like about the law and use that as their self-righteousness. But the real issue is that they're avoiding persecution. They're trying to avoid the persecution cross. So you, you got to maybe scratch your head and go, well, wait a minute. How, how is what they're doing 
avoiding persecution? Mm -hmm. And why would the cross invite that persecution? Why does embracing the cross invite persecution? And why does avoiding it mean I'm, I'm trying to avoid persecution by, by avoiding the cross? So we say the first one is this, the cross of Christ implies our need for a savior. Now, why is that offensive? Why is that? Uh, it's, it's offensive for, for a lot of reasons. One, it means we don't actually have it all together. And that is offensive to the freedom-loving, uh, liberal, just, you know, free-flowing person who says, oh, I am offended by the exclusivity of the cross that says there is only one way. I'm, I'm sorry, but I just, I, and so they, they hate that. And the people that embrace the cross have to embrace that hatred of the world that says, how dare you? How dare you say the cross is the only way? And then on the conservative side, they're offended because, wait a minute, you're saying all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that, that we all need your Savior, your Savior, I need. So I, I'm offended that the good person shares the same fate as the bad person because I'm a good person. I, I, I don't need the cross and I don't need you. And, and so they tend to hate the cross and the people who love the cross. The other reason a cro the cross is offensive is that it basically, it, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, referring to the cross, if I, be, I will draw all men unto me. So the cross bids us come and die, come and die with me. That is not popular today either. It, it, it bids us to die to what, for example, our human effort. There's something innate in human beings that say, I deserve a reward for my hard work. Yeah. But when it comes to the salvation and the transformation of our lives, the cross boasts of a power that can transform us. But it's not human power. And so the cross is this invitation to admit, to lay down our own human effort, whatever that human effort might look like. Whatever those good works might or hard works might look like, whether that's giving money or building buildings or traveling or, 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 or it doesn't matter what form it takes. It's not to say that it's all bad, but what, what you have here is it can save me. And Paul is saying that's just not true. And for the natural man, that is really offensive. Yeah, Paul recognized like, hey, Galatians, you want to be circumcised because you want to avoid being looked down on by the circumcised. You want to avoid that persecution. And I'm telling you, you, by avoiding that persecution, you're avoiding the cross, your very salvation. He says in 1 Corinthians, let's cross over to another letter that he's writing to see what he, he says. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Look, he's, he's saying, like, I wanted to make sure you weren't just swayed by my eloquence. That, that you weren't just impressed by how wise I am because it, it was the cross and the cross's power alone, not my ability to influence you that matters. He goes on to say, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Sheesh. The years ago, about, I don't know if you remember, about 20 years or more, there was a guy by the name of Arthur Blissett. He would, and his vision was to carry the cross around the world. Yeah not to save himself, but as a declaration. And so the cross, the third reason the cross is offensive is it because it, it refuses to share its glory with any competition. The cross stands alone 
as the most sacrificial act in the history of the universe. God himself was made flesh and allowed creation to crucify him. So Arthur Blissett would had a giant wooden cross that was probably 10 or 12 feet tall. And he would go to places like Mardi Gras down in New Orleans or Carnival down in Rio de Janeiro or some festival. And he would walk through the streets carrying this cross. And it was crazy, like at the beginning where Jason was talking about, some people would applaud and embrace and say, yes, I love the cross. Other people would gnash their teeth and yell and scream and throw things because don't bring the cross into our party. <laughs> don't bring the cross into our club. Stay away. Get away. Right. I think the cross has that effect on people. Like, like Keller said, yeah. if you really understand it, you either have to abandon yourself to it in love or you hate it. The crazy thing is uh, each of these three things we, we just mentioned is humbling to us, offensive to the flesh. And, and it goes against the, the spirit of the age, the cross does. And so what Paul is doing is he's, he's kind of perfectly having the worldviews and he's saying there's the circumcised and then there's the uncircumcised. And, and he lumps in a lot of things in, in those two places. Uh, and the one, the Hebrew worldview, the this, this circumcision worldview, follows this uh, keeping of the law and a multitude of traditions. And, and they, they once were useful, but they never could produce life. And now they're desperate to preserve meaning in a world full of chaos. And, and, and it's like they're clinging to, oh no, this corrupt society. Now I'm anxiously and compulsively moral. And, and, and it's my salvation. It's the thing that'll save us. Some self-discipline is the only thing that'll save us, this, this legal worldview. And then the other, the, the uncircumcised worldview, he's, he's equating to the, the, the Greek world that he grew up in the, and the, the rest of all the rest of the pagan world. That, that uses its, its mind and its intellect and, and it celebrates self-fulfillment and self-advancement and self-expression. See, the, the self is at the center of everything. Really, the self is at the center of both, but in a different self-indulgent way. And they're desperate to snatch at some happiness uh, before it all ends because time is the enemy of both of those. Both of those worldviews, time is the enemy of because death comes to all men. And what they were, we're trying to avoid when we avoid the cross is we're trying to avoid our mortality. But in the cross, we see, oh, Christ ha has overcome mortality. Life has overcome death. Resurrection has overcome crucifixion. And, and neither of those worldviews work and each of them are attacked and defeated at the cross. This has been and always will be a battle for the church a struggle in the church because there is no end to people. There will be no end to people who are selling some kind of freedom, whether that's buy my latest gadget to provide you more freedom of time, get into my program that will give you more freedom financially, whatever that is. Not that those things in and of themselves are wrong, but what Paul is saying that there is an eternal freedom there is a freedom for your soul. The Apostle Peter, a contemporary of Paul, he recognized this. His, one of his entire books is centered around the appearance. He's, he's warning us the appearance of false teachers. He said, listen, these false teachers, these people who will come, come in and try to infiltrate you and infiltrate the church and influence you. He says in 2 Peter chapter 2, they are springs without water, they are mists driven by a storm. 
Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping in, from the era they lived in. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whoever or whatever has mastered them. But you hear the, the, you hear the feel there? Paul says, or Peter said, listen, they promise freedom. This is what Paul is saying. This, this, the Judaizers, the moralizers, they promise freedom, but they won't deliver their, their mists, their storms without water, their, their empty clouds. They cannot save. Mm. I tell you, that we, we should just spend time there. Matter of fact, Mark, if you will, 2 Peter 2, 17 and 20, or, and just, just read through it a couple times because I, I think it gives a wonderful description of where we're at today. And, and that, that last piece that we can be worse off at the end than at the beginning. Uh, if somehow we started like the Galatians at the cross, but then wandered into some abuse of grace and, and self-indulgence in, in, in a, in a neo-paganism or wandered from the cross into uh, a, a desire to, to please man and, and, and to look self-sufficient and to look like we have it all together into a, a neo-legalism, uh, then we will be worse off than, than before. Man, that, that's chilling and should make us examine ourselves. Paul, Paul's about to come now to a, a real conclusion. And in this, I think in, in 6.14, he gives a, a beautiful encapsulation of the gospel and of what it's mean to his life. And in a way, it, it's like he's saying, here's what the cross has done for me. It's allowed me to fight this fight for you, but also to let it go. That, that you're not my righteousness. This, this prize, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't what I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for the gospel and my love of Jesus. But he says it like this, is may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I tell you, that's, that's worthy of memorization right there. It's interesting, you know, when men boast or people boast, whether out loud or subtly, they boast about their strength, they boast about their power or their position, they boast about their accomplishments, they boast about their beauty and it gets bigger. Maybe they boast about their their nations. They boast about their political party. They boast about their armies. Maybe they boast about their wokeness. But Paul said, listen, you know what? All that is dross to me. If I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in that which will be standing when everything else disappears. I'm going to boast in my God. See, the cross is, 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 it was an, was an act, was an, it was an event that happened. But behind the cross is a God who said, I'm going to love the world so much that I'm going to allow my son to go there. So Paul says he's not just boasting in a, in a piece of wood. He's boasting in the power behind that piece of wood. That, that word boasting is worth, uh, again, a, uh, I can't help it. I'm sorry. I keep pointing you back to you need to go do some, some Bible work yourself. But it's worth looking through the Bible because when that comes up, what, what the scripture is usually saying is what we boast in is what we're trusting for our salvation. 
So all those things Bruce just described, my, my wokeness or my nationalism or, or my strength or my finances, the, these are what I'm considering my salvation. I boast in it. Say, this is what's going to save me. This will, this will fend off my mortality. This will be my righteousness. This will make me justified in the eyes of, of the world and of a God if there is one. And, and the scripture is clear that there is nothing that man can boast in. Even all the way back in Jeremiah 9.23, listen, this is the Lord speaking through the, the prophet Jeremiah. So this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom or the strong boast in their strength or the rich boast in their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Hear what the prophet is saying there? What he's, what he's, he's pinning the, the words of the Lord. He's saying each of the strong men would naturally boast in his strength. The wise man would naturally boast in his wisdom. The rich man in his riches. Those are, those are the things that are going to save me. But he's saying, no, 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 no. Boast only that you know the Lord. Only that it's his, his righteousness, his justice, his kindness. All, all boasting belongs to him because only he brings salvation. You foolish man, at the end of your days, how much will your wisdom add to your eternal life? Not a day, not a drop. How much wealth, how much wealth does it take to add eternal life? How much strength does it take? There is no amount of any of these things. Only in knowing, having faith in our Lord. That's our only salvation. It's cool. Paul says, I'm dead to the world mm -hmm. and the world is dead to me. Do we see how freeing that is? Yeah. Paul is saying my identity is no longer swayed by what you think of me. My, my identity is no longer what I can um, uh, accomplish or impress you with. He, he's saying, really, I'm free. The fear of man no longer has a hold on me. The opinions of men no longer have a hold on me. I'm dead. To, he doesn't say uh, I hate the world. He's just saying I'm free from its opinions. Can you imagine how wonderful that would be? You look around our world today and there's so many raging opinions and people are looking every direction to see. They're scared to make a decision for fear. Who am I going to offend? Who's going to like me and who's not going to like me? Am I going to lose my influence or lose my followers? And Paul says, you know what? I don't care. I've set my hope. I've bet my life on one thing that, you know, that, it, that the natural man will never understand. And so I'm not even going to try. My identity, my hope is in the cross. Timothy Keller says, the Christian is free to enjoy the world because he no longer needs the world or he needs to fear it or worship it. That's, that's incredibly freeing, right? See, if, if I no longer look to the world for my affirmation, if I'm no longer afraid of the world and what they think of me, I can actually enjoy it. I can actually walk. I can eat and sleep and, 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 and be out in it and, and realize, man, my security comes from outside this world. Uh, pay attention. It's not just semantics that Paul doesn't say the world is dead. He says the world is crucified to me because the world still has its opinion or he wouldn't be being persecuted. The world still has its power or else he, he wouldn't you know, bear the marks in his flesh. He's saying it has lost though it, its power to influence me. The power still exists, 
but the influence still exists. It just doesn't, it no longer applies to me because it's crucified to me and I am crucified to it. And so listen, uh, fellow believer, if you're sitting there struggling saying, I'm sorry, but the world sure don't feel crucified to me, it's because you need to be crucified to it. You have to be crucified to it for it to feel crucified to you because it's still alive and well. It's still kicking. The, the, the opinions are still there. And as long as you still feel them in your heart, you know, oh, I'm not yet crucified to the world. As long as someone else's thoughts about you have influence over you, the influencers, the power brokers, whether they be politicians or celebrities, as long as you still care about what those people think more than you care about the cross of Christ, you're not yet crucified to the world. That, that, that's very important to remember. So don't, don't, don't despair mm -hmm. if, I, if I say that and, and it stings a little or if it hurts, but rather be, rejoice like, oh, I found the problem. I, I realize what my issue is. I'm not yet crucified to the world because now you are armed with something incredibly important. The ability to say, oh, I can bring this to the cross of Christ because the cross will kill it. The cross will kill it. I promise you. And, and then you are free to live, as Paul says to, of himself, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Neither the Hebrew law nor, nor Greek neo-paganism means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. You hear what he's saying? He's saying what you need to be is a new creation. Now, rejoice. You have no power to do that. It, it's not up to you to uh, rebirth yourself into being a new creation. Listen, I say that jokingly, but also I watch us over and over again. It tends to happen at the new year. Try our best to recreate ourselves. Right. You can see it in, in news cycles where someone has stumbled publicly and did, did something incredibly offensive to the culture. And so they they rise up in shock and they, they want to cancel this person. And so they have to go on on tour and and apologize and recreate and reinvent themselves and become something new. But they're not. They're just the same old person. What we need is the cross of Christ. We need to be crucified to the world and then we can be born again and live in resurrection life. And that gives all authority to God to say, I can't do this, God. I've come to the end of myself. Now you can make me a new creation. It's interesting what he said. I don't know if it's even possible what he's describing without coming to the end of yourself. Yeah without coming to the end of yourself in some form. Mm -hmm. And that's what the cross is, isn't it? Isn't the cross the end of something? When a, when a criminal was on his way to the cross, Jesus wasn't the first person that was crucified on a Roman cross. The cross was a Roman instrument of execution. So when a prisoner would walk through the street, just like Jesus did, carrying his cross to the place of crucifixion, it was a one-way street. They knew he's not coming back. They knew, I don't know who that poor guy is, but that's the end of him. That's what the cross is designed to be. But the beauty, folks, is that God doesn't leave us at the end. For the believer, through the power of resurrection, it's really the new beginning. It's the death of the old man and the life and the new life, the birth of a new man. The death of the old man, the birth of a new man. That combination is the essence of the gospel. Mm -hmm. 
don't don't fall into the trap of thinking that uh, somehow going just a little ways back is the answer. Ah, the good old days. You know, we used to have religion dialed in. We used to get this right. You know, give me that old time religion. <laughs> I still love that song. It's a great song. It just ain't quite right <laughs> theologically. Uh, and, n- and neither will we find uh, salvation in, well, the, the church n- needs to be updated. And we, we, you know, we need to be a little bit more indulgent of, of people's humanity and a little bit more gracious to, to the flesh. And no, I'm sorry, there's no neo-paganism allowed here. What we need is to be a new creation, we, we need to be brand new. And isn't that the best advertising, if you will? Mm-hmm. That, that God could have possibly thought up. Paul said, you new believers, you're living letters. You're letters that are alive and you know, those letters are known and seen and read by all men. When I became a new creation in my 20s, I didn't say a lot, but I just let in those days my life speak and the people who knew me knew something has shifted. There's been a dramatic shift in your life and it's not because... You have a, a, a new workout routine at the gym or a new hairdo or a, a new car or a new look. Yeah. It's because something has changed deep down inside. Mm-hmm. Paul's last words in the book. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. I just... Uh, I wonder if you were sitting next to Paul and he said that. What do you mean, Paul? You, what do you mean you bear on your body the marks of Jesus? Paul had paid a price for his faith. Paul, if you read in the book of Acts, had been through shipwrecks and stonings and beatings and his feet put in stocks, nights in prison, shipwrecked and floating in the deep and all kinds of things. Paul's body was scarred in the pursuit of the cross. Paul bore the marks of following Jesus, the marks of suffering. It's interesting, in, in the Old Testament, people would mark themselves. We use maybe today the word tattoo, right? But the word in the Greek is stigma or stigmata. Soldiers would mark themselves with a tattoo or some kind of scarring to show the people, to show whoever met them, who they were fighting for. Slaves would mark themselves or be marked to show to the world who they belong to. Paul says, you know, you want to see who I belong to and you want to see who I'm fighting for? Look at the marks on my body. These are the marks of the Lord Jesus himself. Think about that. He's, he's made a six-chapter argument now of why circumcision isn't the stigma. Why it's not the mark. It is a mark, and it is a mark that marked the people of God for, for many years, but that, that mark changed at the cross. It was no longer to be carried there. Now I carry a different mark. I've, I've gone through a different circumcision of the heart than the one that, that you're chasing after as your righteousness. Mine looks like foolishness. Mine looks like being drugged outside of town, and like Bruce said, being stoned or, or being pulled inside of the town, to the, to the center of the court, to the center of everyone's attention, stripped down and then beaten and then thrown in prison. You want to avoid that, and so you try this, this other mark. And I'm calling you 
I'm calling you to the way that I've, I've walked. I'm calling you to the way of the cross that I've seen my, my Savior walk because I'll only boast in that. Not in anything else. And he had plenty to boast in. Paul had plenty to boast in. He said, my new boast, you'll see on my back. You'll see in my temple where the rocks hit. You'll, you'll see the marks of the, cry, the, the cross of Christ on me. And that's what I, I call you Galatians to. And I, I hear it today. I'm like, okay, Paul, like Bruce said, one of the people you want to meet in heaven, to be 100% honest, I'm a little bit afraid of Paul. He's a little bit intimidating, I think. Oh, my goodness. What would Paul say to me and my life today? But rather than avoid him, avoid the scripture, avoid the, the, the gaze of the Holy Spirit through Galatians on my heart, I think we have to choose to expose our heart to what we've just read and ask God, where am I falling short? Where am I avoiding persecution by embracing self-indulgence or self-righteousness? And then go the way of repentance and crucifixion so we can walk the walk of resurrection. Mm-hmm. As we finish the book, we finish the series. Uh, Paul had nothing but a deep love for his church and the churches in Galatia. As pastors, um, we love those of you who follow or consider us your pastor, consider this your community. There's no better place to walk together yeah. with a group of people than the community of God, a resurrection community, not a perfect group of people by any means, a people who are in process of people who are on the journey together, but of people who have a common goal, a common destiny. We invite you, if you're not part of a community, this is the place where God has called us to work out our salvation, to walk out our salvation. We're going to finish with communion as we typically do. And um, This particular moment, we'd just like you to just pause and take a moment and ask yourself, God, where does the cross intersect with my life today and what I'm facing? Let's take a moment. Where does the cross, is my life dependent on the cross? Is my life dependent on your finished work or am I still struggling in my own strength? Am I still afraid of a, of a broken world and what it thinks of me? God, I want to be free. I want to be free. Lord, set me free today.